Hello and welcome to the first episode of season three. That's right. You're tuning in to season three. Thanks so much for listening to season one, season two. And if you haven't, go back right now and listen to some really good episodes because there are many. There are a lot. All great. And this week, we have an idol of mine, someone who I look up to, who I never thought would come on the show, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist. She is one of the first people to, in her field, study how the brain can change neuroplasticity with directed mind input. She's been doing this since the 1980s, focusing on ADD, ADHD, autism, dementia, traumatic traumatic brain injury, and thousands and thousands of individuals and how their mind-brain connection works. She is and has a YouTube channel with podcasts and has been featured on TV episodes that have reached millions globally. She has been featured on Elle, TED, Bustle, Medium, Huffington Post, The O Magazine, Thrive Global, Something You Should Know, Getting Curious, and many other TV, radio, and podcast and printing outlets. She is the top of her field. I'm so honored that she said yes and graced us with her busy schedule to fit us in and have a great conversation about the mind, neuroplasticity, and some practical tools that we can take away for our daily lives. So let's get right into it. Season three, episode one. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm so excited, actually a little nervous, which I don't usually get because I don't get to interview people as big and and influential in the mental health world like Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a best-selling author, a book that I truly, really read through twice just to make sure I got it right and tell my clients all the time they got to read this book. So for me, someone who is kind of really changing the world of mental health every day, it's a huge honor to have her on. So without further ado, Dr. Leaf, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, thank you, Eddie, for inviting me and those very kind words. I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you're doing as well to help change this whole narrative around mental health. Well, I'm a a cognitive and clinical neuroscientist and a communication pathologist. And essentially what that means is that I help people. I don't practice anymore, but I do research and I've practiced for 25 years. But basically, I've been studying and applying the concepts of psychoneurobiology, which is the mind-brain-body connection, with the implication that they are separate but work together. And so my research has been around understanding what that is, what the mind is, what thoughts are, what emotions are, how do we build thoughts, what's the difference between a thought and a memory, um, all along those concepts and emotions. And then the other, the other part is that do, what kind of level of agency as humans do we have over our thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I have applied that with my initial researches with traumatic brain injury and with people with severe learning disabilities and cognitive disabilities and Alzheimer's and autism and very soon saw that the systems and theories that I had been developing um, were very applicable for just general life as well. So uh, sort of simplifying systems and doing more research and applying it in all different levels. I've had a very strong historical research background in working with very very different uh, groups of people. I come from South Africa. I was born in Zimbabwe. And I was working over the time of when the apartheid system, the terrible apartheid system still existed. So I worked three days a week in the, the areas that we used to call poorly performing schools, which is very valid because they had no nothing. So no, no wonder 
they were poorly performing, but essentially all the social trauma and the racial trauma and that kind of thing. I was working in those areas. And at the same time, I ran a practice for people that could afford to go to therapy. And I trained, I also trained CEOs and I trained physicians and I trained, and I say all of that to say, and therapists and so on, is to say that I've had a, I've had a vast desire to understand the human mind in different contexts, different countries, different parts of the world. I've worked in war torn Rwanda to understand this thing of mind. And um, it's been a 38-year journey of getting to the point where I don't practice anymore, but now I write books and I've got an app and, and I work, train, still, still do a lot of training with physicians and so on and, and to help people to understand what I believe is first cause, which is mind. And if we don't get our mind right, basically everything else just does it, it just follows your mind so if we don't get our mind right and we don't manage our minds our lives can become very messy and messiness is normal if it's being managed mm-hmm. so i try and help people understand that concept and give tools to everyone because not everyone can afford therapy and coaching um, but everyone has a mind and everyone's living with themselves 24 7 so it's it's my desire to try and get those kind of tools into people's hands i i love all of that and and to me i'm a very much a cbt therapist and that's literally just in line, like drooling at exactly what is that world of the mind, you know, emotions, feelings, and our body behavior connection. And I want to jump right in because in the beginning of your book, you touch on something that I think is so apropos and you touch upon it later on about millennials, but in the clean your mess, right? You talk about this idea of the discussion of how it's, we're so consumed by fear and it's so scary because if you look at the world today with news and everything around us is just always scary. Yeah. Can you kind of give a little insight about why that is so this day and age or why we're so focused on it and how that can be truly impactful on the way maybe the mess of the mind can be created? Absolutely. And that's an excellent question. And there's kind of a few angles we can go down. And the one is to think of the fact that we are, um, it's a logical fact, but the fact that we as humans are impacted by our environment and we cannot ever separate out the impact of the environment on the human. And we also can't, we've, so we've got to look at the at the person. We've got to look at the uniqueness of the person. We've got to look at the uniqueness of the person in the environment. And we've got to look at the upbringing and the culture and the, all the, the embedded knowledge and so on that people have and look at that whole context for the reason why people show up in the way that they do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so in, when we are in an immersed in an environment of neg- negativity, we tend to merge with that environment if we don't know what we're dealing with and if we don't know how to manage it and if we don't know the signals. And most people aren't trained today. In the last 40 years, it's changed a lot. We don't focus enough on mind. We focus too much on the biological brain, which is great to know about the brain. I've been involved in brain research for 38 years, but we've got to, to the, it's become very neurocentric. So we, we don't work enough on mind. And, and what's the difference? Well, there's a massive difference between the two. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to come to that. If you I quickly want to answer that whole, why are we drawn to the negative? Yeah, go for um, it. And then I'm going to, I'll link that into the mind brain because it's, it's foundational. So important. Teach. Oh, totally. So important. Um, so we, as uh, we see from the neurobiology, so our brain biology is that we, everything about the brain and the body is designed to work. It's designed for survival. It's designed for, to make you as a human function at the highest level. So therefore, if you have a virus like COVID, your body fights it. If you get a bacteria, your body fights it. If you have a toxic thought, your body also fights it. Your brain and body are also designed to fight a toxic thought 
thought because a toxic thought, which could be any kind of level of trauma, whether it's from isolation in the pandemic to a rape as a child to a terrible text message or something, all different levels are built into your brain because they're experiences and we can talk about that more as I unpack the mind-brain connection, but your brain will also reject that. And so what what that means is when we say our brain and body reject that, our mind also does. So our mind, brain, and body, three separate but interactive identities. Mind shows up in the brain and our, our biology neurobiology is designed for survival so a threat will threaten that and then our body tries to restore our mind is the same our mind is also designed for um for survival for love wired for love optimism bias so we are drawn to the negative not because we are evil or there's so many theories evil that we've got these wired brains that are wired towards negativity i don't believe any of that there's not enough there's no decent science backing that up what we are, what we see accurately is that we are drawn to the negative because it threats, it threatens the balance, it threatens the survival. So we're drawn to the negative to fix it, not to be immersed in it, not to merge with it, but to restore the balance. So we naturally are drawn to anything that is out of the norm, someone murdering someone, uh, the f- fears of COVID virus, the things that could go wrong, we're drawn to that to fix it. But the problem is that there isn't very much balance in the way media, for example, presents stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's, because of the whole competition between media and, and just the competitive world we live in has created a way of presenting things that create that emotional surge. Emotions are like glue or glue memories, literally are like glue memories in the brain. And the more you can get that emotional surge that's toxic, the more you'll get people's attention. And then the whole idea is to then what should be happening neurobiologically is that we should restore balance. But we don't restore balance always because there's another surge and another surge and another surge. And so we don't have time to actually catch ourselves and stand back and and say, okay, well, that's wrong. How can I restore the balance? How can I fix? We just get loaded with more. So then the toxicity increases to the point where we lose our wisdom or we lose access to clarity of mind and and wisdom and good, clear thinking, and we get sucked into um, a whole cycle. And that is all mind. Everything I've described is mind because if you did, you're not going to experience that. Mm-hmm. If I hold up a dead brain in my hand right now, which I don't have, I have a model of a brain, but it's not a dead brain. It's not a human. It's a model. But if I had a dead person in the room here with me, or you had, there would be nothing going on in their brain. We could put all the technology that has been developed in on their brain, but there would be no response. But you and I, if we were linked up to all this fancy brain technology, and I use QEGs in my research, we would see massive responses now as we're talking, and interesting responses. And and that's because we're alive. That is, and that to our aliveness is our mind. And our mind is always active 24 seven, there's different parts of mind, but the mind is always active. It's first cause, it is the energizer, it is the driving force. So the brain can't do anything on its own, the body can't do anything on its own. So the mind has to show up in the brain and the body for the brain and the body to respond in all the ways that it does, which is electromagnetically and mm-hmm. chemically and genetically and with all you know all the systems of the brain and the body. A dead person has no response yeah. and a live person has a response. So the most basic understanding of mind-brain is what I've just said. Mind is your aliveness, your ability to think and feel and choose in response to the experiences of life, the events and circumstances, the people, life. And it starts when you wake up in the morning and it carries on till you go to bed at night night and then when you're sleeping your brain and mind work together to sort out what you've actually built into your brain during the course of the day Mm -hmm. and so with your mind you actually build your mind is a very active force that is building the experiences of life 
physically into the brain as protein structures through the process of electromagnetics and, and neurochemistry and genetics and all that kind of genetic responses, etc. It's switching all that on and converting, like, for example, this podcast discussion is being converted from sound waves and that you then make meaning of into your brain and there's a whole genetic response and this whole conversation is being built into the brain and I've got props all over the place. If you've been watching me, you'll see all my props there, um, there into like a tree. The thought so, tree. The thought tree. And it's an arbor-like structure. We talk about the arbor-like structure of thoughts in the brain. So the branches are all the memories because like right now we're talking about mind-brain, therapy, mental health, whatever. That's the name of the tree, whatever you've called the podcast. Um, but the details the information, the emotions that these are stimulating, the the thinking, feeling, and choosing, all that stuff, that is all the, that's all the memories. That's all the detailed memories. So a thought is made up of memories. So one thought can have hundreds, thousands of memories. The more established they are, the longer they've been around, the more memories they have, the stronger they are. Mm -hmm. So a thought is made of memories and we build thoughts. So at the end of this discussion of an hour, we would probably have, because you're not going to say a lot of stuff, easily two to 3,000 um, root, root memories because um, the roots are the source and the source is you and I at the moment. Everyone listening, they are, they are, they are growing the same roots, but the interpretation of what they're hearing is unique to each person. Mm -hmm. So the branch memories are based on the same content, but it's your unique thinking, feeling, and choosing your view of the world. So based on your experience, your environment, who you are, what you are, what you've done, et cetera, et cetera, influence how you're hearing this message. Mm -hmm. And that creates the beauty of who we are as different human beings. And then this is how we show up with what we say, what we do, how we function, et cetera. So we can look – so this is what I've been studying all these years. So I look, it's like, you, it's like you are a thought detective. We go from the way that we show up and we can track the way we show up comes from thoughts. Thoughts are made of memories and the thought memories, the first part that you hit are your interpretation, how you're viewing it, how you view and all these memories are based on a source. And so when you get to the source, you can find out why you do what you do. So it works both ways. I teach people how to build healthy memories mm -hmm. because the more healthy memories that you build is one of the best mental health tools that you can have is, is brain building. Yeah. It's one of the most, um, uh, the strongest ways of building um, literally insurance into your brain. Um, and then we've got to detox all the traumas of life and there's different types of trauma. So you'd go backwards to detox trauma. You wouldn't detox these. That's not traumatic. So I have this toxic tree, which shows the traumatic thoughts. <laughs> I love the props. Yeah, the props work so well. So in other words, these things are made of protein. Thoughts are real and the memories are the branches, but they're made of protein. They're not actually leaves. They're mm -hmm. actually protein structures with chemicals and, and electromagnetic forces, etc. But the, these ones, the proteins don't fold correctly. So the, the, the quantum vibrations are upset. The neurochemistry is wrong. The immune system is going crazy trying to fight this. So this creates brain damage yeah. and cumulatively over time vulnerability to disease, etc. So that's kind of the big picture, two parts to that question. And in the beginning with the millennials, you talk about at the end of your book, I think it's because the constant surge of just social media and life that we're in, it's just go, 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 go of just extreme stimulus that our brains never have time to just take a break to process or to be able to deal with it. And that's why I think when people have those quote unquote social media cleanses where they stop doing it or yes. stop going or taking breaks, it just gives your body, mind, specifically your mind, a break just to sit back and relax and just let your mind work through the things that it should either correct or recorrect. You know, one of the things I talk a lot in my practice, I'm very much on discussing labels 
and how when you go shopping or you buy something online, the label or the explanation or the definition of something could really help and pick and choose what you do with that product. I always use Heinz ketchup as my example, right? If you take a huge row of ketchups, you don't know the difference really, unless you either taste it, which you probably can't tell the difference either way, Mm -hmm. but what's in it, that's the labels. In your book, you so beautifully talk about how labels are used to not, to just understand where you're at and then challenge it. How is that different than maybe what the classic way of looking at the labels of the world that we have discussed in the past in therapy? Mm, I love, I love so much for that you've asked that question. And being a therapist, it's 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 wonderful, it's profound because, as you say, therapists are literally trained in the DSM and how to label, and it's you know part of the package kind of thing. Well, a label in the all the research I've done around mind brain if you want to get someone stuck you give them a label mm-hmm. because a label is is very deceptive because the label is like i always say it's like a box of gift but there's nothing in the gift so initially you think oh wow that's amazing but then you open it and there's nothing there whereas if you don't label and you describe rather and you go to looking at at, 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 at describe you have a you, you open that gift, there's a beautiful gift, there's another one. It's just the gift never stops. Hmm. And so that's a very nice analogy for looking at the difference between what a label does and what a label doesn't do. Labels are this inherent desire that humans have to make sense of the world. So we want to label things that are not very well understood. And when it comes to mind, it's one of the areas that has been very neglected in study, in my opinion, for a long time. The ancients used to study it. Now, you with your Jewish background, you'll you'll know that. You'll know that there's so much work, of so much in the Torah about um, the mind. And if you look at all ancient texts, there's such a clear indication. Right up until recent history, I mean, right up until like 40 years ago, there's been such an emphasis around mind. Even in the 80s, when I was doing my initial um, degrees and studies and research, we understood that the mind was different from the brain. The only difference there that was bad was that the brain was seen as an unchangeable organ, which yeah. we now know it can change. So so in other words, the, the mind-brain connection is so important because it, it tells us how if you label someone, you are – by giving an authority person, a personal authority, giving a label to someone or a parent giving a label to someone or a teacher, anyone who gives – even if it's amongst siblings or coworkers – you're putting them in a box that's 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 kind of empty and and it's what now and it's limiting the person's identity and their value system so it's much better to and it's also not their truth because the truth is that there's something that you can do that no one else can do the human brain as besides the hemispheres and the structures has 200 specializations and your 200 are different to mine and there's no one on the planet with the same 200 specializations there's also seven different areas that all work to activate these these um these they're called metacognitive modules to activate these specializations in other words there's a bunch of complicated science that shows us that there is no normal brain and which uh, there's only exceptional brains that have things that happen to them and that means that as humans we are exceptional we're phenomenal we're amazing and that's not just motivational speak i'm not a motivational speaker at all it is fact it's pure fact that our neurobiology and our psycho our psycho our psycho side the psycho neurobiology are wired for love quite literally a nobel prize winning scientist talks about being wired for love eric kandel and that is the basis of who we are so if you label someone 
you are, especially if it's a negative label, like a brain disease concept, like the current mental health system, which I absolutely hate, which I'm sure you do too, is uh, you, you're basically limiting and saying to that person, your story doesn't really matter. What matters are your symptoms and let's attach a label. So let's treat it like cancer or, or into, uh, diabetes, which is a that works for those things. The biomedical model is phenomenal for the, the physical part of us. But that's not who all of who we are. That's only in, in the theory and, and what I've researched, I propose that that's only about 10% of who we are. So your mind is the driving force that keeps that alive. And that's the other 90%. So your, uh, uh, we, we talk about um, in, in that approach, we talk about then the fact that if you label someone, you are completely limiting what could happen. That endless gift is is of you is limited to, oh, I'm a, I have clinical depression. And I showed this in my most recent clinical trials. There's one example of a case study. We we looked at a blood and brain and, and biomarkers and DNA. We looked at it. It was a huge, huge, complex matrix of things that we looked at. Unusual for to, to look at that. Normally you look at one or two things, but I did it for a very, very distinct reason. And what we found was that our subjects in the in both the experimental and control group were saying things like, I am depression. Mm-hmm. Now you can't be depression because depression isn't an it. You can't have depression either because it isn't an it. Depression is a is a an emotional warning signal. It's a response, as is anxiety, as is anger, as is joy, as is passion. As all emotions are very, very, very um, important messengers that are telling us something. So when you look at when you look at things in in that context, when you look at a um, the the a label and say, tell someone that their identity is X, you've really limited them. And then that sets up a belief pattern in the brain. You literally build in a toxic thought in the brain of I am clinical depression. And then everything that you do, oh, it's because of that. Yes. And people talk about my disease. And there is endless research showing that when you do that, you're accepting something toxic. This this creates brain damage. This thinking creates an immune response. Exactly like COVID virus creates an immune response, this creates an immune response. It's going to stimulate all kinds of T lymphocytes, B lymphocytes, macrophages, etc. There's going to be inflammation. So how is that helping you? It's not. Mm. It's having a physical impact, negative, and it's having a, an emotional and a thought impact. That's a toxic thought. It needs to be deconstructed. So I don't yeah. believe that. I'd rather tell someone, okay, let's look at you. How are you showing up? And there's different ways that you can do that. Yeah. And then track back to the source. And, and the sad part is in grad school, we're so pushed to diagnose for billing, for insurance, for understanding, for treatment. And, you know, recently I had some clients who came to me from other therapists yeah. and they said, okay, Ellie, I have anxiety. I have this, that, whatever they, they labeled or put on themselves. And I actually said to them, I said, honestly, I really don't care. And they said, what? I said, I mean that with the most love and compassion. Yeah. I said, it's not going to change how I treat you. What, what's your story? Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're feeling today. Tell me how you're doing today. I said, yes, I might have to put some diagnosis because I'm going through insurance. That doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. And I think money. Yeah, it is. It's the pay. And you know, when I first started um, in my career, it's only been about four or five years. When I first started, someone came to me and said, okay, Ellie, we have a client with borderline personality disorder. Automatically you have thoughts, ideas. You now sum this person up into a box of what that means. And I'm not trying to give bad rap to people who have that diagnosis, but that diagnosis, when you understand the DSM or what we've heard about it or learned about it or the Mm -hmm. stories we've heard about Mm -hmm. it, it creates this big, scary monster of, oh, I can't work with that person. 
They have borderline. Per- they have schizophrenia. They have yeah. bipolar. They're manic. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're in the end. Meanwhile, you can't have any of those. Exactly. You can't. They're not things that you can have because they're not haveable things. They're not. Yeah. They're not. Um, they're not things. They're, they're not, not things. Like cancer. cancer is a thing. Yeah. And so is um, diabetes. And so is an autoimmune disorder. And so is a cardiovascular issue. Those are actual physical things. Mm-hmm. This is not. This is this forms part of a dimension called mind. And it's moving through the brain and showing up. And it's the cause is not the physical. The label is implying that the cause is physical. That's yeah. one of the major problems. Yeah. The cause is the story. What mm-hmm. happened? Mm-hmm. That is the origin. And I had someone, someone today, I did, I did a consultation with someone or this week, who knows what day it is today. Um, and I did a, a consultation and someone's like, yeah, you know, it's probably biological that I'm to have depression. And, and they jumped to that kind of reverted thought process. And it's so pushed in today's world of mental health about the diagnosis, about the, the boxes and labels that we put on people. And it's so, it can be so destructive to someone because then they believe it to the point where they can't see anything else. Exactly. And then they, then they say, they talk or walk around and, and I blame the doctors, for this. I blame the systems for this because psychiatrists, I train psychiatrists. They come to my conferences to learn about mind and uh, doctors, they come to learn about mind because they've been trained in just labeling in a biomedical way as you've just described. But that is not helping anyone. If you get that initially, if you're feeling awful and someone tells you in a white jacket with a you know, PhD or a doctor behind their name that, hey, this is the reason. I understand the comfort that comes from that yeah. initially. But that is not the solution because rather you should see it as, as instead of it, then it becomes a scary thing. That let's say that you've gone through some terrible trauma and we've all got traumas in our lives, big and different degrees at different times of our life. But that doesn't actually add value to what you're going through. It actually actually takes value away mm-hmm. and it takes your, it doesn't honor your story because by sticking it into that category, it, you've become just a list of symptoms. And as you say, it creates the, the very stigma that it's supposed to remove, it actually adds. And that yeah. research has confirmed that, yeah. that labeling and the current system increases stigma and increase. And, and it hasn't worked, nor is the drugging work because our statistics show that people are dying up to 25 years younger when they are labeled and when they are medicated. Wow. And, you know, that's the, the scientific proof is in there. The evidence is in there. Meanwhile, what we could have done is we could have said, okay, hey, yeah, like you said, that's okay. That's just, that's a human response. That's a warning signal. Let's be a detective. Yeah. Let's actually see, you know, that's just how you're showing up. It's not who you are. The core for you are you're this amazing, phenomenal person. You're wired for love. You're wired for optimism. Your balance has been thrown off. The balance is now being picked up by your brain, mind, and body, and it is sending you signals. And those signals are depression, anxiety, fear, frustration, changes in your behavior, changes in your relationship, can't be creative, foggy thinking, overwhelm, burnout, life sucks, all of that. Are, is not who you are, it's who you have become because of. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found so clearly, and you would have seen it in my book when you read there about that one subject in that case study who came in saying, I am depression. Yeah. I am, my life's a mess. I, and all the narrative initially, all the all of the narrative, after all the psychobi- psychobiological testing, etc., was all about how they can't this, they can't that, they can't see it, they can't work. They had had every label, they had, had every medication, I, literally. They were so medicated and so um, so so labeled that they – and they were millennials. They were like in their early 30s. Their DNA showed that their body was of a sickly 65-year-old. Their wow. QEEGs showed flatline, like wow. low energy, low oxygen, low brainwave energy. Like this was ser- a serious situation. These people were ready to check out. Yeah. And within 21 days, that person was saying, I'm not – I am not de- depression. I am depressed because of – 
Mm-hmm. And I'm actually more depressed because it's a treatment effect. Things get worse before they get better. As you, yeah. you know, once you start seeing why you were depressed, yeah. it's a different type of depression, but there's a sadness. There's a, wow, that's so bad. What happened? Mm-hmm. That's why. And you have to go back to the inner child. And maybe you were like one of my cases was a child raped at, you know, five. And, you know, you've got to go back and see that. And, you know, and, and you've got to go and say, okay, I now as the adult, I can, you were so vulnerable, but it's okay. You've got to, you've got to do that work. You've got to deconstruct and you've got to reconstruct this process. And so therefore, how do you do that? You labeling doesn't fix that. Drugging doesn't fix that. They anesthetics. They're not treatment. They're not fixing anything. So they should never be called antidepressants. Like an antibiotic does get rid of the bacteria. They've copied that philosophy yeah. in naming these things. And that doesn't help a person. The label doesn't help the person. What we have to do is we have to help the person be honored. We have to honor their story. And in that way, you have to have a person process because these thoughts are volcanic. I mean, these things are real. They're alive. They're dynamic. They're living. The more they suppress, the more that they are undealt with and unmanaged, the more they're going to explode into every aspect of, of their life. You have to find the root. Yeah. And I believe a lot of approaches are going in and treating all these like weeds in a garden. Mm-hmm. They just go chop the head off. You know, mm-hmm. like using CBT incorrectly or ACT incorrectly or any of these things. If you just try and replace a thought, you, you can't replace a thought. You have to deconstruct it. You can't just chop the head off the weed. It will grow back. Yeah. You have to, to pull it out. Yeah. And deconstruct and reconstruct. So, thousand percent. We're on the same yeah, page on this one. We're on the same page. You know, I, I want to talk about the five steps, you know, gather, reflect, write, recheck, and active reach. But I want to ask a question first because that will be one of the last things we talk about because it's the key factor of your entire amazing book. Um, you. you talk about whatever we think about the most, sorry, whatever we think about the most grows right. because we're giving it the most energy. So what is the line where that is actually attainable in reality? Because if I think I'm going to be a millionaire, or I think I'm going to be the most famous athlete, but I don't have athletic skills, right? I'm really not athletic at all. Yeah. I would love to be in the NBA, not tall enough. I'd love to be a baseball player, not talented enough. No hand-eye coordination. So where is that kind of line of something that can actually be impacted by what energy we put into it versus what is unrealistic or a hope or a pipe dream, so to speak? Okay. Excellent. So what we're not talking about here is positive psychology. We're not talking about toxic positivity. We're not talking about affirmations used in completely the incorrect way. We're not talking about just, okay, I feel terrible. I'm going to throw some gratitude statements on and hope for the best. Or, it's not a you get my question. <laughs> exactly. It's not a ban. And I'm, and I'm glad you brought this up because I talk about this a lot. Um, it's not a, you, that's, that's putting a bandit on a bullet wound. So that's not what I'm referencing here. What I'm referencing is that what it's the quantum Zeno effect. Whatever you think about the most will grow. And so essentially what that means is that we, we, when, you, when you're thinking about something, it is growing. It is getting bigger because it is, it's your mind and your mind is pushing that energy in your brain and your brain is responding on mm-hmm. electrochemically, et cetera. So you're adding branches. Yeah. But the difference is, is that if you are growing a toxic, if you've got, if you've got this desire to be, um, as you said, to be the richest person, this is not a realistic this is not a realistic philosophy. I was talking to someone about this this morning in an interview. To be rich is a goal, but what kind of, what is that? That's such an empty thing. You know, it's not a, what does that mean? There's an iceberg underneath that tip. If you don't have the iceberg, that ice tip just floats away and gets lost in Mm -hmm. the sea and will melt. Mm -hmm. But the iceberg underneath is what makes the change. So when we talk about in terms of, of, of being realistic, I'm not saying that I know that I could never be a six foot male football player 
I know. No matter how many times I think about it, because that's no iceberg there. There's mm-hmm. no. That's just a. It's an illusion. So you've got to be realistic. You've got to be. You can't just law of attraction. I mean, this is really distorted science, a positive psychology. These things have distorted how we function as humans. Thinking I can just be negative, slap on a positive affirmation like some kind of magic. And ta-da. Plan. And ta- yeah, exactly. Or look in the mirror five times. Or you know, I was sitting on a plane once with a friend, and we were flying somewhere, and they hauled out. We were going to a conference, and we were both lecturing, both doctors. And this person hauled out a bunch of cards and started reading them. It was early in the morning, and I said, "What are you reading?" Oh, all my positive affirmations. Eddie, there were he had fifty positive affirmations. He every morning he read them. I said, "Well, what's the substance behind them?" No, no. If I read them enough times, they'll happen. I said, "No." What you're doing is you're actually creating a toxic, you're thinking about what you think about the most grows, but you are thinking you are growing the toxic system because your non-conscious mind and your brain are way ahead of your conscious mind. Your conscious mind lags behind. So while you're mm-hmm. consciously reading that, the truth is in your non-conscious mind and your and and in your brain and those two together are and your and your body in your gene code are know that you can't be a six foot basketball player because you're a female who's five foot two or whatever it was or that you're just going to say that but you're not doing the work you mm-hmm. and it's not realistic so there's no substance there's no root there's no foundation so that doesn't work so what you're growing you're growing something but you're growing oh that's the it's truth false. which is it's false. So you're growing. So the more affirmations you put on, you're growing more falsity. It's not ever going to happen. And I think the and I think the world of mental health. I have clients like give me a mantra, like oh, give gosh, me yeah. give me a line that I can say to myself to remind myself. Yeah. And I might give it to them after we work on the depth exactly. of what the depth is. Step five. Exactly. Step like five. the last thing I give them because of all the eighteen different things we've worked on. Now this line reminds you of all the hard work that we've done to frame this thing, not just like have a list of things I throw on them or that calendar that goes or those those cat pictures that say just keep on holding on or something. And I think we're so the society today is so we're so excited to have like that quick thing that just makes me feel good or that positive word that's going to just boom me into some idea that I'm going to now change the world. But if I don't do anything with that. It means nothing. So I love that you talked about that. And the two, and I have so many things I want to get to. We don't have that much time. But the idea, can you talk about the two different things maybe together, the power of embracing and the regret zone that you talk about in your book? Absolutely. So when we talk about um, when we talk about embracing, so the whole philosophy behind what I teach is, and what I've researched, is that you can't change what you're not aware of. But you but you also can't just be aware, and this, this and this goes to the current models as well of trying to and the current antidotes that are trying to say come against the positive psychology and just using CBT wrong and that kind of stuff, um, where you can just um, replace a thought or, or have the positive affirmation, you, or just be aware. It's not enough to just be aware. I showed that in my research. If you're just aware, you're going to get worse. You have to be aware. You have to be mindful. And you have to go beyond mindfulness. So you have, and in order to go beyond mindfulness, which is where the neurocycle comes in, and it involves deconstructing and reconstructing, reconceptualizing, using time, automatization, involves a whole lot of processes that people aren't generally not doing, which is why change is not happening and why people are frustrated with their narratives. I should be like this, but I'm stuck and totally frustrated. What we have to do is recognize that we, in order to get into that state where I don't just, okay, it's up and this is what I've got to fix or whatever, you've got to embrace it. Embrace means that I bring it into my fold 
in a welcoming way. If I give you an embrace, I'm not pushing you away. I'm not seeing, it means I've encouraged you to come into my fold. I welcome, I'm welcoming you because I see you as an asset to my life. Depression, anxiety, my behaviors, my patterns. If I embrace those, I embrace them because I know that that's not who I am, but I want to control them. So I want to bring them into my life so that I can work out why this is happening. And therefore, and they're not threatening. They Yes, they're disrupting my life, but those are not who I am. So therefore, I need to embrace them in order to change them, to get agency over them. If I don't embrace them, I'm fearing them. Mm-hmm. And they then control me. So the, 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 the overarching philosophy is embrace in order to process, in order order to reconceptualize mm. and reconceptualization is looking at things in a different way it is seeing x plus y equals z not x y it's it's really seeing things from that other perspective the easiest example is thomas edison who invented the light bulb it was at his 1001 time or something that he invented the light bulb and when he was interviewed by reporters they asked him how do you feel about your thousand failures? And his answer was brilliant and changed. It was so brilliant. He said, I, I, they're not failures. I know a thousand things that don't work. That's reconceptualization. That's a possibilities mindset. That is seeing another perspective. Mm-hmm. That is taking something and persevering and making it work for you and not thinking those were a waste of time, but think and recognizing that's what's happened to me, that I can change what I can't change that, but I can change how it plays out in my life. I can change how it shows up in me. So if the abuse, the trauma has happened, whatever's gone on in your life, you can't change the fact that it's happened, but you can can change how it shows up inside of yourself. And that becomes a vital component in helping people to understand how to progress forward. Um, so in, in um, just coming back, uh, uh, kind of, I don't want to go off topic, just reorientate me again with your with your questions because so, there's so many directions I can go in. <laughs> no, I asked about the, just what the concept of embracing is okay. and how it can help embracing. us. So you answered it beautifully. Okay. So there we go. We want to embrace them. I have a very first step in the neurocycles. Once you, so those are the philosophies and then there's the setup and then there's the brain preparation and then there's the five steps. All of it is based on this, I've embraced, I've brought it in my fold, it's okay, it's a depression, depression, but the, the success of depression and this withdrawal behavior and this problem in our relationships and this lack of creativity and this when life sucks, all these categories, these four basic categories are emotions, or behaviors, or physical symptoms and our perspective. Mm-hmm. I embrace all of those. I bring them into my fold because they're telling me something. They're helpful yeah. messengers. That's what embrace means. It's not that, oh, gosh, they're bad symptoms. They're symptoms of a brain disease. There's something wrong with me on top of everything else. I've now got a brain disease. No, no, no. That'll put you in 1,400 neurophysiological responses into the most terrible state of stress. Your body will work against you. Yeah. Whereas if you say, okay, it's a fact. This is happening. I don't like it. It makes me feel terrible. I hate this, but I'm going to embrace this. You've got control. You've shifted near 1,400 neurophysiological responses. You've increased your resilience. Now you have the strength to work through the therapy. And when they're not a therapy, they need mind management because your patients are not seeing you every day. They're mm-hmm. seeing you however many times, but they're living with themselves 24-7. So, so my objective is to give people, how do I live with myself 24-7? How do I prepare myself for therapy? How do I get how do I get to the point of that I know what I need and and can benefit more from therapy? So it's very much preparation for therapy, counseling, coaching. And then it can be used in therapy. Because basically the neurocycle, the system I've developed, is like a vehicle. And whatever you put in that vehicle is up to 
for you in whatever type of vehicle, but it's a, it's a system for how you organize your mind, which is your, how you think, feel, and choose, and how you direct it to change the brain, the neuroplasticity. You're directing the neuroplasticity, and then you're changing the genetic code in every cell of your body because brain immediately then causes a change in every cell of our brain and our body. And the, that's what I've meticulously tried to work out and understand. You'll see there's a chart in the book where I put the five steps down, and then mm-hmm. I, I indicate this is happening in your mind, brain, body. And obviously, it's a very simplistic version of it, but it gives you a good understanding of when you work very, because all the steps of things that people do, but it's the combination, it's the sequence, it's the order, it's the system, and it's not, and into that you can put CBT, ACT, any kind of, whatever you want, whatever technique works for you, but as long as you're putting it in the affirmations, etc., at the right place, in the right order, then you've got your brain building in the right way that you can get to the root cause and manage the problem. So does that yeah. kind of you you could have said anything. I would have been happy with it. <laughs> and, you know, and we'll get to the last question in a second because I know you have to run and are doing amazing things in the world. But, uh, you know, it's just so funny how people are so um, – maybe there's a myth that neuroplasticity is only when you're a child. Like children have this malleable brain, but you clearly have the research to show that neuroplasticity is at all ages. Is there, and, and it's so impactful to understand as a, as a client or as a person coming to therapy or getting help with your mental health, that you're not stuck just because you're a certain age and that your brain cannot readjust or you cannot help and work through something just because, you know, that adage of, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's a lie. It's false. So it's so amazing that you talk that out. And I want to just touch on in the last five or six minutes or so that, that I have of your time, the idea of those five steps, right? The gather, reflect, write, recheck, and active reach. Can you touch on them quickly? And I don't want you to give all your secret sauce because I want to do a, a giveaway where you, I actually get some on your book because they should read it. Or uh, maybe we'll do a few giveaways depending on the on the scenario. Uh, but can you just touch on it quickly so you people get a taste of the, the, the beauty of your of your style and what you're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Thank you for that. Just quickly, the setup of neuroplasticity is fundamental to the five-step process. So I did some of the first neuroplasticity research back in my field in the late 80s when they didn't believe the brain could change. And I had to literally fight to get this research through and had professors and things saying to me that, oh, this is just lucky that you're seeing these changes of people that were written off as vegetables going and getting degrees. And, you know, people changing like literally in states of, of severe states of learning issues and trauma changing and growing. And so the fact of the matter is now we know the brain changes all the time. So you are never the same. Your brain changes 24-7. During the day, your changes, your brain, the changes in your brain are occurring in response to everything you experience from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. You will have around about, on average, somewhere between eight to 10,000 experiences in a day. Every single one of those is processed by your mind, which is first cause. Your mind is the processor, the first cause, all of this about you being alive is mind. The brain is where you, where the mind shows up and then builds it into your body as these neural thought trees and patterns and um, changes in your gene code, which then affect all your neurophysiology. And you direct that process. You are in control of that process. So we're not victims of our biology. We are actually over, we are, we control our biology. That doesn't go to say that if you have a traumatic brain injury or, or a neurological um, issue like a trauma or some medication induced kind of damage um, or surgeries, 
or COVID, it doesn't mean that your brain, in that case, your brain has been damaged. Um, and then that obviously feeds back into your mind. But you have this untouchable part of your mind that is this what I call the wise mind. And we can always draw into that no matter what level of damage. And I have worked with the most severely traumatized, brain damaged, dementia, um, autism, severe, extreme, uh, extreme, and I don't like to label, but people that display the symptoms of autism. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about symptoms of, because we never really have these fixed labels as we discuss these in a more, more like descriptive categories. Um, and I have seen people restore and change the cognitive, social, and emotional, and intellectual um, uh, minds and, and, and functioning by 35 to 81%. So that is massive. My most recent trial showed 81% changes in, in people's functioning. And it's not just my research. There are years and years and thousands and thousands of studies in this field of psychoneurobiology showing that change. So I say all of this to say that this five-step system is not a quick fix. If you're looking for a quick fix, you're not going to find it here. Um, it takes cycles of 63 days of consistently working through the five steps, setting it up correctly, preparing the brain, doing the five steps daily for 21 days for at least 15 to 45 minutes, and then for another 42 days for around about five to seven minutes. And that's one cycle. And then when you finish that, you start another one. And you're working on one toxic issue at a time because one toxic thought, as we said right in the beginning, is made of lots of memories. So when you recall one issue, it's going to bring back hundreds if not mm -hmm. thousands of memories and they come at different stages during the process and then you deal with those the awareness itself is is helping you to then see and to deal with them so that's so there's 38 years of research behind the process there's clinical trials plus there is um, re, uh, clinical applications this has been done on real people so essentially what you do is there's the setup which is to see yourself as this phenomenal human wired for love and that you, you, you are showing up because of. It's not who you are, it's who you've become. So mm -hmm. it's very important you get yourself into that mindset so that you don't get your neurophysiology working against you. Yeah. And then you come in, I used to tell my patients and I tell people often, put two chairs next to each other. You sit in one and you also sit in the other one. You know, there's, so there's you the and two you. Chair. The two chair concept. And so you are the one is the wise mind and the one is the messy mind. And you then give yourself the permission. It's okay to be messy. That's why I call it cleaning up the mental mess. On neurophysiology, the wide for love concept, the survival concept is all about making the mess and cleaning it up. Not making the mess and staying in the mess, but making the mess and cleaning it up, which means I learn from the mess and I repair and I grow. And that's what, you know, the possibilities concept of um, of Edison that I gave earlier on is kind of, what did I learn? What did I grow? Mm -hmm. That's okay to make a mess. So we've got this illusion from positive psychology and the wellness movement. You know, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of it, but there's also this thing of that we've already discussed that, oh, I've got to never be, I've got to be depression-free and anxiety-free to be a normal. No, you're always going to have depression. You're always going to have anxiety to different degrees on any one day, different stages of your life. Sometimes it's extreme at like a minus eight, nine, ten. Sometimes it's at a minus four. Sometimes it's a one. Sometimes you're in a plus one. You know, I always use the number thing because it just helps us to kind of place it there. And that's all part of life. The extreme parts, we do definitely need more support. We start, you know, maybe if you get to like a minus 10, you're starting to hallucinate and maybe have delusions. And, and that's not that you have a disease. It's that you, and yes, it is impacting and changing your body. And yes, your body is becoming more vulnerable without management. But you you can still get out of that. That's not a lifelong um 
a thing that you have to live. It's not a lifelong sort of sentence. It means that there's something really severe that is being has been there for a long time, and you need the support, the therapy, etc., to to manage it. So it's very important that we keep that philosophy in mind. That give yourself the permission to make the mess. And I know I'm over. I'm stressing this, but we don't do this. We don't stress it enough. And the time frame. So. Quickly, in summary there, then I'll go through the five steps quickly, is you've got to set this thing up. You've got to see that you're wired for love, you're amazing. And part of that is it's okay to make a mess. And the whole point is to manage that mess, to clean up that mental mess. So you want to set it up like that, get your two chairs, tell yourself it's okay. How you're showing up, this pattern that you're seeing in your life is not who you are, it's how you become. So then you, what do you start with? What's the most disruptive pattern in your life? And when I say pattern, a pattern has that has four elements. What are the most disruptive emotions, the most disruptive disruptive physical signals in your body. So maybe it's depression, maybe it's GI symptoms. Um, what's behaviors, maybe withdrawal and perspective, life sucks. I mean, and if that's overarching and influencing everything, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. So those are the signals coming off the tree. So what you do is you can also imagine you're in a little helicopter a time machine because we're always flying through the present, past, and future because how we act now is based on our past as mm-hmm. it's impacting our future. So you're in this little time machine and you, the pilot and co-pilot, pilot being the messy mind, a co-pilot being the wise mind. And you kind of, you see this, you're flying over this forest of all of your thoughts. You see the smoke signals and it's all okay, kind, all the way I've set it up, you decide, okay, I've got to pay attention to those smoke signals, the depression, the anxiety, the the body, all the stuff that I just described. So you decide to land the plane and it's all very safe. It's all standing back and observing yourself. It's all self-regulated. It's not immersed. You don't land under the tree. You land next to the tree. You stand back and you observe. So you are you. Are, that's the two chair concept where you are objectively analyzing um, the situation, and then you go. Then you prepare. So you do that landing and before you dive in and do the work. You do a preparation, a brain preparation. Very important because just doing that alone has thrown your heart rate up and created a little bit of hypertension and a bit of neurochemical chaos. And you want to settle that down. So there you can do things like a bit of breathing or meditation or havening or visualization. There's a million different techniques in my NeuroCycle app. I walk you through a two to three minute example. In my book, I've got a whole bunch of them. There's a lot of them. We, we, I'm always adding new. You have like uh, four of them in your book, right? The boxes, windows, rewinding, and suits of armor. And there's uh, yes, and there's a few more inside the actual yeah. um, second part of the book where I've got application in yeah. the app. We are actually physically give it like literally give you therapy. I walk you through a two to three minute um, brain preparation every day before you start the work. Mm-hmm. So it's always important the whole setup, the brain preparation. Now you're ready to go beyond because if you stop there what meditation and mindfulness and mindfulness meditation and mindfulness cbt does is it brings the the thing into awareness which no neuroscientifically is good because as soon as you're aware of something it uh, it's going to be weakened and when something's weakened the protein branches you can then change it Mm -hmm. so you can't change without being aware but you've got to be mindfully aware but you've got to be embracingly mindfully aware and so that shifts the whole thing not just aware but mindfully aware and embracingly mindfully aware very different okay and then you're going to go into gather awareness i chose the words very specifically because when you gather you are in control if you go pick apples in an orchard you don't just go stand under the apple tree and shake it and they will fall on your head and in the basket and whatever you stand back and you choose that tree that apple that apple that. so you 
controlling it. So gather awareness is controlling. In that 15 to 45 minutes, when you've done all the stuff I've just described, you start to gather, you allocate time, and you don't go beyond the 15 to 45 because this is very hard work. Your brain gets tired. When your brain's tired, you're going to just feel worse. Yeah. So it's very limited. The rest of the day, you don't think about this again. You think of it tomorrow again. So it's, it's very organized, and you do it in cycles of 63 days. Otherwise, no change happens. Um, so then you're going to gather awareness, and you gather – so you literally are now diving into the tree. The signals brought you down. Now you're diving into, okay, let me gather those signals. Let me really pick them. What is this depression? Can I describe it more? And so you start putting the apples in the basket. Then you start the next phase. Now that has brought, that gathered, everything I've done has changed the neurochemistry. It's changed the neurophysiology. Um, you've got started getting coherence between the two sides of the brain. As you gather awareness in this very mindful, embracing way, you're going to create a lot of theta energy in the brain, which is a very healing energy. So you start calming down. And when theta energy starts increasing, it stimulates alpha. Um, all of them are flowing, but these ratios, they, mm -hmm. you want these different ratios. And as you do that, you start becoming more insightful. And that's just a couple of things that happen. There's a lot of other stuff, but I'll just stick with those two for now. So in other words, the concept is as you do each step, you are progressively preparing the brain to be more primed for good neuroplastic changes um, that are sustainable. And not just going to disappear. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so the reflection stage is your next stage where you start asking, answering, and discussing and getting to more depth because you're trying to find out why are you, there's the signals. What is the detail? What are the data memories, the emotional memories, the choice memories? What are all the memories here? How, mm -hmm. how have I seen this? What am I seeing? What am I looking at? What am I doing? Why, why, what's going on here? And, and you're gathering all of that. And then you're reflecting on it. And, and not in all in, it's not solved in one day. You do a little bit each day. Mm -hmm. And it takes a full 21 days to start deconstructing this, tracking down and finding the roots. So it's gather awareness, reflect. And then the next two steps are writing steps. The one is a, called a metacog where you arrange things in a way that is the most phenomenally powerful way of pulling the two sides of the brain together and increasing insight. It's very messy. It's, it feels disorganized, but it's phenomenal in really making the brain-mind connection work well. And the fourth step is also a writing step where you start organizing and finding patterns, etc. The fifth step is like a full stop in a sentence. That's the end of the day's work. What have I learned? What's my affirmation this is where you can use an affirmation or a, a great cbt technique or something like that that you can then use for the day so as you go into the course of the day if you feel tempted to ruminate you can catch the rumination so you hmm. start learning to discipline your thought life no i've dealt with it today i'll deal with it tomorrow what's my little hook what's my little anchor that i can I love that. force myself yeah it works really well and then tomorrow you come back and you start the process within 21 days you would have deconstructed and reconstructed and very often what we'll see is that you only found one part mm -hmm. of it and you start seeing hey there's another bunch of stuff i mean yeah. i've had some patients that took up to two years which means 34 cycles if 365 wow. divided by 63 gives you 17 times 2 is 34. 34 cycles as they saw the pervasive effect of that trauma. And that's totally okay. There's no time frame. There's no cookie cutter. I'm just giving you the science of time for change. So mm -hmm. it takes around about 21 days not to build a habit, to, to deconstruct and reconstruct. Reconstruct into what? To create how I want this to play out into my future. The clarity and the peace of mind that I want. So 
yes, maybe you were abused, it's affecting your ability to form relationships and you feel like life sucks and you want that changed. So you want to get to the point where, okay, that happened to me, but there is hope. I can still have a relationship. I can still move forward. There is, what does that look like? By day 21, you've got that going, but this plant is tiny. This thought is tiny. It's not going to do anything for you yet unless you stabilize it. So you don't want to go thinking of another bunch of stuff. You want to now dedicate the next six weeks to actually physically working on growing this, getting more insight, seeing what this means, stabilizing it and automatizing it. And that takes at least another 42 days. Then it will start showing up in your behavior. When you're triggered, you're going to have this insurance policy to draw back on. And that's one of the, that's the new book I'm working on, How Thoughts Become Insurance Policies When We Love Use Them it. Correctly. And so that's the process that's happening there. And the detail is in, there's tons of examples in the book and the app walks you through it. And they're absolutely a living organism. We keep on adding more, more stuff to it to make it more and more user-friendly. And we're adding in de-escalation techniques and there's a ton of brain preparation. And there's, as you use the five steps, it trains your mind in such a way and trains your brain in such a way and builds a discipline that then you get a carryover effect. Now, you and I both know one of the biggest problems in therapy is carryover. I've done lots of research in this area. Mm -hmm. Are they great in therapy? You go into life, boom, it all falls apart. Mm -hmm. And that's why therapy goes on for years and years. My therapies didn't. We had, we had, we worked in 63 day cycles and then it would shorten because otherwise carryover is not going to happen. You have to get yeah. the independence. So this trains carryover because the discipline of the system, you will automatically start finding you can use it during the day. So there's also the shortened version of the neurocycle that, and I put them in, there's a few examples in the book and in the app, I call them neurocycle, mini, mini neurocycles where you can do the five steps very quickly, not in 15 to 45 minutes over 63 days, because you're doing that daily over 63 days, but you can do the five steps in five minutes or five seconds. And the, the idea is that you start the day, everything's going fine, you're about to start working, and you get this terrible email, it throws you off completely, and you've got to go into this really important meeting, how do you get your head back on? Mm. How do you untangle those thoughts? How do you get out of that state of shock where your face has gone red, your heart's palpitating, and your creativity's gone for a, a loop? You can apply the five steps to mm -hmm. bring you back on track. You can gather awareness, you can process, you because that then brings, you can do the, you know, the preparation, It then and you can do that quickly, you can do it in a meeting, you can do it in, a, in, a, in an argument, you can so these, I mean, there's a million ways that you can apply it. And the more you do it, the more you can apply it. So anything that a therapist does, you can, you do in that framework, yeah. you're guaranteed of success because you are putting it into the correct, correct mind-brain framework. So we've also developed a coaching program. Now, well, it was already developed, but we've now developed it even more. And that's about to be launched as well, where you can then, if you're a therapist or coach, whatever, you can then learn how to guide people through the process. Amazing. And we have a neurocycle lab that we're starting that um, works hand in hand with therapy. So it doesn't replace, this does not impress, it replaces therapy. I am the biggest advocate for people going to therapy, coaching, counseling. And this enhances the process. This mm -hmm. enhances how we manage our life. It helps us to you know, work together. It's beautiful. I know you have to run because you have like about 18 billion more meetings. Yeah. I really just want to thank you so much. And how to find Dr. Caroline Leaf, it'll be in the show notes. Really, I appreciate all your work. It makes my job that much greater to have people above me who are doing the hard work, the research, all that kind of stuff to make my um, uh, knowledge grow bigger and greater. So I really appreciate and admire everything you're doing. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time today to be on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I loved your questions and I loved our discussion. So thank you so much. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in 
every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at the dude therapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at the dude therapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.